week, uh, I saw a video put out by Andrew Claven. It was part of his uh, podcast um, episode last week. Um, and the clip that I saw was talking about art, uh, video games as a uh, legitimate art form, mm-hmm. questioning that. Can video games be art? And I thought it was a very interesting uh, conversation that he um, uh, was engaged in. Typically, video games, when it's talked about as art, uh, is kind of looked down upon, especially yeah. amongst um, conservative circles. Uh, and so for him, you know, Clavin, Andrew Clavin being a novelist, an artist himself, he's engaged in the, in the cultural front and talking about um, things concerning the culture. For him to uh, even give credence to this idea that video games might be considered art is was interesting. Um, yeah. So I wanted to get your guys' take on you know your uh, experience with video games, whether or not they can be art. Uh, that is to say, can they lead us to the beautiful? Can they inspire mm-hmm. us? Um, yeah. What do you What do you guys? I've always I've always been biased because I wanted it to be an art form. It's like yeah, like yeah, somebody for- please like. Tell me that Mario 64 is amazing. <laughs> yeah, like, so yeah. I could just keep playing it. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I, I, I definitely think it, it really immerses you into a world, like Clavin was saying. Yeah. Uh, in the same way that, you know, looking at a piece of, like a picture or a painting can do that, but it takes more uh, imaginal practice to kind of mm-hmm. see yourself in that world and, and then get what it um, has to offer you. I think that there's like a gradient of like high art, low art. Yeah. In terms of like reading a novel, you have to engage yourself more in order to imagine that world. Um, watching a movie is less so. Yeah. So there's less imaginal practice needed. Um, and then same thing with like video games. It's like you're so immersed that it almost feels like there's less work, but that then I don't think that diminishes it from it being as a category of art. Right. Yeah. That's a good point is that there is a hierarchy of art. Uh, and I think... I remember having this conversation years ago um, between movies and novels, right? Uh, and which one is a higher art? Uh, and I remember I argued, and I think I I think I still stand by this. Uh, I haven't really thought about it on deeper since then, but um, we can parse it out here. I think n- the novel is a higher art form than a movie, mainly because of what you said mm-hmm. is that it engages the reader. There's almost like an active participation, to use yeah. a liturgical term. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but there For is sure. a, a, a an active participation on on the um, beholder mm-hmm. uh, that that movies were it, it seems to be more passive. Yep. Now that's interesting in talking about video games because is the video game are you more active? Right. You know. Um, or is it the right kind of activity? Is it's it not, the right? Yeah. It's not, yeah. Your, your imagination is not more active. It's less so because it's all being presented to you, but you're actively interacting with it. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. And you know where the movie and the novel presents a a very uh, stat well not static but um, it, it presents a concrete story. Now mm-hmm. uh, the characters are concrete. Um, in a video game, there's a little bit more um, flexibility in the way that you are interacting with the story. You can change the story. Right. Um, and so you're not reading someone's life as much as you're living that life, right, in a video yeah. game. Yep. Um, and so that's different as well. Um, one of Clavin's points uh, that he brought up, uh, brought up uh, is that the video game, the, the power of the art there is not so much in the story, but it's mm-hmm. in the setting and the world that you're engaging in. Um, 
and what was left unsaid, I think, in, in that is that like leave storytelling to the novelists <laughs> yeah. or, or the movie makers. Uh, the video game, the power of the video game is the uh, incredible engaging world that you can interact with. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, that's an interesting point. Yeah, I think it's possible to have a good story in a video game in the same yeah. way that it's like uh, like a film is multi-level in its art. Mm-hmm. You know, there's like the photography, there's the acting, there's the music, the music, the, yeah. the, and then obviously the story. So it's like, yeah, leave the storytellers, leave the story to the storytellers. Mm-hmm. But you could still have that within the art form. Yes, it just has to be done. Yeah, well. yeah. yeah. I, I think I think it depends upon the game for sure because uh, I think my first interaction with uh, a video game that could be considered an art form was uh, Morrowind in the Elder Scrolls series. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because that that was a, a massive world with. with incredible lore that you could get into uh and i think there there was a good storytelling mm-hmm. but it it depends upon it depends upon the game yeah you know right. like call of duty is is going to have maybe not as immersive storytelling as right. an rpg kind of yeah. uh, like a, an mm-hmm. elder scrolls but it, it it depends upon like you know what you want to get out of those games like for me um Sometimes you just want the competition. You just want, yeah. like, mm-hmm. you know, it's right. like a John Wick yeah, yeah, versus yeah. Lord of the Rings. Right, exactly. Um, sometimes you just want that pure entertainment. So, mm-hmm. you, so I go to Call of Duty. Yeah. But if you want something that's a little bit more engaging, that's a little bit more compelling story, like you said, where you become the hero in the story, right. then maybe you want something like the Elder Scrolls. Right, yeah. Right. Um, more RPG-esque. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, everything exists on a gradient like that. It's yeah. like music has its highest form and its lowest form. Yeah. Um, just like you have Dig Dug and... Zelda, yeah, <laughs> you know, <laughs> right, right. So, yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, um, yeah. That's a that's a good point, point. and I think that part of um, uh, to judge whether or not something is um, a work of art, you have to see the effect it has on your soul too. Mm. Um, and Clavin made this point, saying that art is um, art can be judged on whether or not it motivates you to live well in the real world. Um, and there's a quote by John Paul II where he says something very similar in quoting um, a Polish poet by the name of Cyprian Norwood. Uh, he says, beauty is to enthuse us for work and work is to raise us up. Mm. Now, do video games, can video games enthuse us for work? <laughs> you know, can, yeah. can it inspire us to live well? And again, it, it de- of course depends on the type of game. But, you know, using... Um, the best games that we can think of in debating or not whether video games is art. You know, for me, experientially, um, The Legend of Zelda has always been kind of a high point in video games in mm-hmm. terms of its artfulness. And so the story of Zelda, the the, the um, hero Link, uh, for me, it touches on archetypes. Yeah, right. And I can say that in, in some way, it has inspired me to live up to the hero archetype mm-hmm. just as watching star wars and, right. and luke skywalker has you know inspired me in that sense or reading lord of the rings and aragorn and frodo you know how they inspired me i could say that link maybe to a lesser extent but still yep. like adds to that you know that that pool of mm-hmm. <laughs> of my uh, inspiration yeah um one of the things i think um that video games also um touches on is um in connection with Cleveland's point of the in, in being immersed in the setting, um, is seeing the world in a fantastical way that 
I think is necessary to interact with the world on a on a level of beauty, right. in, a, in a level mm-hmm. of beauty. Um, going back to some quotes that I have here, <laughs> um, Tolkien touches on this, and I want to connect it to this point I'm making. Um, this is this comes from Tolkien's um, on fairy stories, his essay, mm-hmm. um, and this is what he says. He says fantasy is made out of the primary world, but a good craftsman loves his material and has a knowledge and feeling for clay, stone, and wood, which only the art of making can give. By the forging of Graham, cold iron was revealed. By the making of Pegasus, horses were ennobled. In the trees of the sun and moon, root and stock, flower and fruit are manifested in glory. So it's this idea of seeing the world differently. Yep. And through stories, through um, uh, art, we can actually now see reality in a new light. Mm-hmm. So I, I love his point, like by the making of Pegasus, the invention of Pegasus by the craftsman, horses were ennobled. It's almost now when you step back into the real world, you see horses in a new way, almost in a sacramental way, I right. might add. Mm-hmm. I might add. <laughs> um, no, in that sense that like, you know, when we're engaged with the sacraments at church, mm-hmm. in our faith, we don't look at bread and wine the same way, right? Water now is not just water, but it's actually something that is used for baptism, and it, you know, it, it's sanctified. Yeah. Um, oil, too. So the same thing, like all the, the life of the sacraments takes matter and it elevates it. Right. And I think video games acts in that kind of way, especially I'm reminded of in playing Zelda. When you're on your journey towards a specific end, mm-hmm. you look at your environment and see how you can use it on right. your journey. Right. You cut the grass to yeah. get, you know, potion. <laughs> yeah. um, mm-hmm. You know, you, um, you know, knock down a tree mm-hmm. to find a, uh, a bug. Right, right. Like, that's almost a, a sacramental way in viewing right. the world. Yeah. Um, those are not just obstacles, but they're actually um, tools to help you along the journey. Right, right. And imagine, like, you're playing Zelda. You stop playing, and then you go into your world to see the world in that light. Mm-hmm. I'm saying, like, how is not, like, the world is not no longer an obstacle, but... It can actually help me along my journey, right? Yeah. It, to yeah, me, that's really that's almost like a um, a fruit of art. Yeah, know? yeah. So, yeah, those are some, just some of my thoughts on that. I so. think that um, I feel like there's more examples of bad art in video games than there are of good. Yeah, um, possibly. I, I'm I'm not like so caveat. I'm not a huge gamer. Uh, yeah, I don't game sure. too often. I probably play, play video games like a couple hours a week. Uh-huh. Um, so. That's a yeah. lot. <laughs> yeah. um, 17 yeah. hours a week. So, yeah. Clavin uh, has made Two. this point about Jane Austen in that she kind of like made the novel a legitimate thing. Mm-hmm. Um, before novels were seen as kind of trashy and just kind of low level art. Yeah. Um, but it was through her works that kind of elevated that. And I wonder if video games are yet to have that kind of boost, at least in the Christian view and and like the high culture quote-unquote of seeing art like oh this is a legitimate art form like i wonder if video games are yet to see that moment where somebody comes along and actually like makes something that like elevates the entire genre yeah into like this is now legitimate mm. you know as opposed to now where it seems just like low and kind of like waste your time it's like there, there are things that pop up here and there that are helpful but i feel like it's few and far in between to find something that's like i played zelda and that enhanced my life yeah, you know, it's like that's. I feel like that's more rare than it's like it's a time killer for me. Yeah, I think. Yeah, gosh, it was years ago. Maybe I can find it. Um, the Wall Street Journal 
had something on Dark Souls, mm-hmm. and that they that employers should ask their future employees, "Have you played Dark Souls?" Interesting, because mm-hmm. it was such a brutal, grinding game mm. that it was. If you can, the idea was, if you can go through this game, right? If you you know, if you're willing yep. to fail and learn and fail mm-hmm. and learn. Then you'll make a great employee. Interesting, right. really. <laughs> that, yeah, right. I That's never wild. saw it again, but it was maybe that was like a glimmer of it. But yeah, it, yeah. then now it's gone. Have you so, played you know. Dark Souls? Yes. Are you willing to stop playing to work for us? <laughs> right. Yeah. No. Right. Yeah. yeah. No, that was probably more like World of Warcraft. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like, oh, yeah, this job's gonna ask a little more of you. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't think it. I don't think we've gotten to that point because there there is a deep suspicion. Yeah. Both like morally mm-hmm. and intellectually about video games right like the you know can can video games actually lift you up morally mm-hmm. or do they degrade you yeah um you know certainly there's been a lot of talk around the, the school shooters right. and the mm-hmm. amount of video games they played and mm-hmm. there's i don't think there's any real link right uh it's not like uh, evidentially or scientifically mm-hmm. but um yeah I, I think when people say that they even appreciate the art in video games um that is kind of seen as lowbrow. Yeah, I think for sure. the only thing that's really that I've seen that's gaining prominence in terms of video games and art appreciation is music mm. in the mm. video games. Um, right, right, yeah. I think yeah. uh, his name is Jeremy Soule. He mm. did uh, Skyrim. Mm. And yeah. that, I think, won some awards for music. Yeah, yeah. But Interesting. And you have like Hans Zimmer composing music for video games. Too. Right. Yeah, when he did what is so, it, Modern Warfare. Yeah. That was like a big deal that like a movie score guy came right. in and did yeah. a right. video game. Yeah. 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 Uh, I think, you know, in relation to that point you made about, um, you know, kids who shoot up a school and their connections to playing video games, Clavin brought that up too. Mm. But he said, the issue is not the video games. The issue is that if he's spending all day playing video right. games, that right. means he doesn't have a father <laughs> right, know, right, right. to raise him. Yeah, yeah. And right. so, um, mm-hmm. you know, I, I think that's more yeah, of context. a side effect yeah. of a deeper issue. I think also um, if he switched sure. out the piece of art and been like, he was listening to music all day, it's like, all right, the follow-up is like, what kind of music? And yeah. was that impeding on his life? And was people were people telling him to like stop listening to music so much and go do real life stuff? Yeah, and, like, exactly. All of that context. Right. Was he so reading cool. all day Nietzsche, yeah. or right. was yeah. he reading you know Ratzinger? <laughs> right. You know, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's very interesting. Um, let's see. I thought I had another point on the the video game thing. Um, I know um, our brother in law Matt and our uh, uh, brother in law Alex. Mm-hmm. Um, he. Uh, he said he was before he converted to um, Catholicism. He grew up in a non-religious household, and he said his first encounter with any kind of religion or mm-hmm. yeah semblance of religion was playing Zelda. Actually, um, yeah. So yeah. yeah, it's yeah interacting with like ideas of like temples mm-hmm. and gods. Yeah, um, and how you're like kind of a servant to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's yeah. I mean, especially yeah. I think the whole point that Clavin's making is legitimate and it really it's it's kind of I think he's like trying to get a point across that's like in this moment in time this might be a really good means for art yeah and we shouldn't overlook this yeah like don't don't sign this one off yet um because it actually might be something that you know Alex's experience might be more you might see more and more in the culture and and the way that even like video games are set up um especially with these like linear storylines is that in order to progress, you have to fight, you know? Yeah, and that yeah. there's, there's concepts mm-hmm. of good and evil, mm-hmm. perhaps more so now 
than in our the current state of filmmaking right um where everything's so ambiguous mm-hmm. and you know it's like so much messaging in right in movies maybe video games might be the last bastion of no there's good evil you know to take up your sword and to fight you know to progress um that's um perhaps more more clear in video games than movies do you guys right know now. do you know if there's any like woke video games <laughs> There's like diversity quotas. Well, I know um, Cyberpunk 2077. Mm. Um, I haven't played that game, but I've read some articles, um, saw some reviews, um, and apparently, like you can make your character transgender. Mm. Um, but I remember reading an article saying that um, it wasn't enough for the left. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, and they said like this just feels like a cheap um, bone that they're throwing right. to the, and, and it, that was telling that like even these. Even the video games that are becoming a little bit more woke, mm-hmm. it's not enough for the left, of course. You know, yeah. uh, it, and it's right. It was the, controversial in both. Both. They want ends. the next Zelda to have like universal basic income. Like every day, yeah. you get a thousand rupees <laughs> <laughs> just because. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um. Oh, the the one point I was going to mention that slipped my mind. I remembered, and Clavin brought this up. The um, artistic video games seem to be coming out of indie um, creators. Mm. Um, and so he was saying that, like, you know, these gorgeous landscapes where the story isn't as prominent and you kind of fill in the gaps of the story in your mind with your imagination um, seems to, in his mind, is more uh, artistic um, than right. some mainstream um, bigger games. Um, mm. And perhaps, you know, that's connecting art to a more um, relaxing mode. You know, you think about, like, these Zen-type games yeah, yeah. where it's, like, no story Gorgeous landscape, mm-hmm. very calm what music. Was that app one, the snowboarding or um, Alto, Alto's Journey? Yeah, yeah, I think it was. Yeah, that's yeah, something like that. Where it's like really cool landscapes. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, that's I don't know. That's another conversation about like is art, like if art's supposed to motivate you to live yeah. out uh, well in the world, you know, is there a place for art that's just relaxing? To yeah. rejuvenate you, right. to live out right, well right. in the world, it's a different kind of motivating. Yeah, I don't think it has to be this like gritty, like I oh, get on the journey, bro. Like, yeah, exactly. You know, it could just right. be like appreciate beauty, and it's yeah. showing you like you know wonderful landscapes, and that inspires. Just like again, just like an image would do. Yeah, and be like, what Paintings. is how is this motivating me to go on my day to day? It's like, isn't that a beautiful flower? Yeah, <laughs> like right. there's exactly. there's a yeah. connection there. Yeah, I was gonna say maybe there's more the the uh, leisurely aspect in the true form of something productive yeah. although it doesn't yeah. seem productive mm-hmm. um but it's still a moment of you resting to recharge and to appreciate yep. life a little bit more yeah. yep i think yeah. there's some truth that some truth to that i'm trying to get uh i'm looking at this article right now it's it's just like a it's like someone took a picture of it on like their <laughs> like a like a really a picture ba- of an article <laughs> yeah exactly no it's like a newspaper and they took a picture <laughs> of it so i'm trying to look at it nice. but uh, no luck. It it does sound like, though they the article is trying to make the point that um, people who played video games uh, were a little bit more um, assertive in the workplace. Mm. They were they were trying to make mm. and yeah. a little bit more driven. Um, That's interesting. And they were saying Dark Souls is maybe a part of that. But then they actually got into this leisurely aspect that it doesn't necessarily um, have to always be something productive in that you make something in the same way that maybe someone goes to the movies. Right. It's like, well, uh, you, why did you watch that movie? You know, it's uh-huh. like it was a waste of two hours. You could have been doing something else mm-hmm. or, or reading even. It's yeah. like, well, what's up? You know, I could have been doing yeah. anything else more uh, 
productive? Uh, yeah, or? physically or physically productive. Mm-hmm. Like you could have cleaned that is visible, right. has uh, tangible effects. Right. Watching a movie, playing video games, reading technically don't don't have tangible effects. Right. In the, immediately, I yep. should say, mm-hmm. but they all do engage your imagination in some way mm-hmm. that could later. Yep. In, impact your yep. your physical tangible life, right. but. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's like you know, obviously that's what art does. It's not utilitarian in that sense. It it's like the source of, of of sense of meaning and yeah. it fulfills your life in that sense, um, which does in turn like fortify you in the day to day. So you could see it utilitarian like that, but yeah, like, that's, that's kind of dangerous. I feel like that's a twist, mm-hmm. right? Like you don't want to engage a work of art saying like, I'm doing this so that, you know. I can have like tangible effects, right? Like appreciate sure. the world more and then make more money. Too. Yeah, what? <laughs> right, right, exactly. Um, there is a sense of passivity yeah. uh, in art, um, but yeah, you, yeah. I, I think if you're approaching it just to get a utilitarian purpose out of it, mm-hmm. um, it you're approaching it wrong, and it's not going to affect you as much. Um, yeah, I just so. think it's like you split hairs with trying to define utilitarian because it's like. If art is the means to contemplation, is that a utility? It's like, yeah, you know, right. the sense of utility versus like, I don't know, whatever the the opposite word of that is, a non-utility. Um, yeah, well, that, the and means that gets, by which, does that, is that the same yeah. thing as saying utility? Right. And that, well, that, I guess, speaks to our end. Like, is our end to be productive or is it yeah. to... Contemplate. Contemplate and receive, you know? Yep. Right, um, right. Yeah, I was gonna say I think maybe the opposite is um, useless. Yeah, uselessness. Yeah, because mm-hmm. I, I was thinking I don't know why this popped in my mind, but uh, that was like one of the a- aims of the French Revolution, right? And breaking down yeah. monasteries was mm-hmm. you aren't productive. Mm-hmm. You aren't. We can't utilize you. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, we need you to do things. Yeah. Right. But contemplation isn't uh, something that's immediately productive. Right. Or has a utility to it. Yep. So it's seen as useless, but it's actually, um, it, it could be argued as the most practical. Yeah, no, for, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I feel like that's how Peterson talks because he's such a pragmatist. Yeah. Where he's right. like, you know, he explains this thing and the idea of the logos. And he's like, and it's so useful because X. But then, like, his usefulness is not like, here's how you get higher up in the workforce. Yeah. It's like right. some sort of like arbitrary, like, here's like, it, it brings meaning to your life yeah. and it's, it's right. good yeah, to exactly. contemplate and it's beautiful. That's how he's saying useful. So I yeah. feel like those that word gets mm-hmm. mixed. Well, and that, yeah, that, that's true. Yeah. That's and that's what true. Joseph Pieper brings up in his um, Leisure Basis of Culture. He starts off by saying, you know, is is man meant to work or is man meant for leisure? Mm-hmm. And, you know, the idea with having a monastery, religious monks, um, saying, like, you know, you, you need to be useful in society. It's like, well, they are useful insofar as they inspire the culture around them, right? And their prayers help, and blah blah blah. And the culture is becomes more utilitarian. But then, for what purpose? Mm-hmm. For them to contemplate too, yeah, like yeah. you know, right, is right. that? Yep. And in a sense, like we would say that, like that is the goal of the Christian life is to um, union with God, mm-hmm. and that's not a utilitarian thing. That's a, right. a, a that's an act of rest almost. Um, and so, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah that's yeah, that makes sense. sense. Lee, you brought up a question in a group chat um, mm-hmm. about art. Do you want to bring that up? I thought that was good, kind of related. Sure. Uh, I've been thinking a lot about, uh, I guess, contemporary art 
it's I, I know that modern art has a, a more technical definition mm-hmm. and is like a school than right. um so I guess I'll say contemporary isn't that that which is current um uh why 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 is it so bad <laughs> why is art right now so bad and I guess uh, I'm already getting into a little bit of trickiness here because I guess first we have to understand what what, what do we mean by art right because it could be movies mm-hmm. it could be novels um could be series now so I, I understand maybe that's a little bit broad yeah to say why does art stink um I guess immediately what I had in mind is a little bit of the buzz around Velma yeah the new series oh, yeah. um Although, you know, I really, I really don't want to get into Velma. Um, <laughs> One of the worst reviewed TV shows ever. Yeah. I saw uh, it. Yeah. Um, That's crazy. But we don't have to. Well, yeah, I, say, I, I, you know, I have some <laughs> thoughts on it. But uh, I was thinking, because one of the main kind of criticisms of Velma is it's, it's on HBO. Mm-hmm. And so if it's on HBO, it's going to have some vulgarity to it. Yeah. That's just... You know, that's that why works. that's why you're on HBO yeah. and not on Disney Plus. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's yeah. uh, and that's not I'm not knocking it for that. Mm-hmm. But um it was I guess trying to juxtapose it though to the original one, which was a little bit more lighthearted, yeah. lighthearted, a little yeah. bit campy and yeah, yeah. you know, all you know, all that stuff. Um and now it's this vulgar cartoon. Um and I it got me wondering if you know if art is an expression of the creator's mind, of the artist's mind, it is bad art just then a representation of, of their bad ideas or of their bad mm. thinking? Mm. Yeah. Um, it, because, you know, scholastically speaking, you know, if you want to go to the medievals, art is a, a function of the intellect. Mm-hmm. How to make things well yeah. belongs to your mind, right? your intellect, and not your will. So if you can't make art well, mm-hmm. that means that you, you're deficient. Not not not, not deficient intellectually, yeah. but you're yeah, deficient yeah. in that mm-hmm. virtue. Yeah, in that mode. Yeah, it, yeah. Uh, That yeah. issues from the mind. Yeah. Um, because I, I do think it's different than you have kind of like intellectual virtues, you have moral virtues, because you can be a bad person and make good art. Yes. For sure. Mm-hmm. They're not the same thing. Mm-hmm. Although, and vice versa. Yeah, yeah, can, yeah, right, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Her God's not dead. <laughs> yeah. Right, exactly. You can you can be, yeah, like a, a great upstanding Christian, but yeah. you can't do art. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I, I'm not making a, a, like a moral judgment right. as like, well, you make bad art because you're a bad person. Yeah, right. I don't think that's true. No, right. But I, I wonder if it's just, um, it's, it's just this, we, we just don't have good minds right now. Like our yeah. minds aren't filled with good things, mm-hmm. yeah, and therefore our art sucks. I I don't know. Yeah, yeah, I, it's really interesting. I'm kind of spitballing here. It's yep. yeah, no, it's I'm an open. interesting topic. I think like collectively speaking, our culture, I think right now is not making good art. Um, we we've become so politicized that everything seems like it has to be a vehicle for a political message. Uh, we are aimless in 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 the sense of our uh, values. Right. Um, you know when you look at um the height of good art and maybe, you know, you can point to the, it, it, that's a debate mm-hmm. when the, the height of good art was, but let's just say like, um, early thousands. <laughs> yeah, right. National treasure. Yeah. <laughs> um, early Renaissance, right. Perhaps. Um, the culture was of one mind and more heart almost. Mm-hmm. 
and their values were very clearly defined. And it was good, you know, um, uh, coming more maybe from a top-down faith perspective, mm-hmm. uh, they participated in the good, <laughs> collectively speaking. Right, right. And so, you know, you had like Dante's Divine Comedy was able to come out of that culture mm-hmm. because it was just, everything was just so clearly expressed. And then when people are living that path of goodness and they're authentic about it, it, it I think just art flows freely from that, you know. And um, Dante's Divine Comedy, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, wasn't that considered like pop at the time? Because it was like in Italian and not Latin. Yeah, so it wasn't it was like, like, right. There's, it was kind of like considered lower because it wasn't like this intellectual endeavor that was originally in Latin. Right, yeah. So it was more for the people rather right. than for the scholars. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. And I mean, and that kind of adds to the point that it was for the culture yeah, that he right. was, you know, writing for. Um, yeah. So, but then you look at like our, our art that's being made now. It's like, what does it say about our culture? I think it yeah, does have something to do with what you said, like the collective. Yeah. And something about the collective unconscious, some union stuff, some like <laughs> yeah. Peugeot, uh, you know, <laughs> angels. <Symbolism> yeah, <laughs> it's obviously. But yeah. yeah, there is some sort of like uh, overarching like vibe, if you will. Um, you know, Peugeot would call it an angel. Yeah. You know, Jung would call it the collective unconscious. Like some somewhere our collective experience of the world right now is misaligned such that our art is not good. Yeah. 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 I, I do think the art that we have now is a, is a symptom of, of yeah. the age. Yep. Um, Jung did talk about that, you know, the, mm. that the development of modern art with sort of its, its nihilistic trends and disintegration um, was a symbol mm. and symptom right. of, of the time of this like universal, mood of destruction yeah yeah yeah. that that was going on so i i think um it is certainly there's something going on in the culture because no one is superior to their culture Mm -hmm. you know no one can live right you may be superior in certain aspects Mm -hmm. let's say but you're still in it yeah you're still a product of the culture somehow right like you can't you can't escape it so yeah yeah there's there's something more collective that's happening that's producing just garbage yeah garbage yeah. movies garbage, yeah. You know, yeah garbage uh series and everything i, I think, feel like, i feel like yeah, the thing is we people experience that and talk about it as this overarching thing because like even in the renaissance time you're gonna find things that are bad of you're course. gonna find bad art there it didn't yeah. live on which is why we're not talking about it <laughs> right <laughs> you know that's the whole yeah. point but and then in this time now there's going to be things that are made well mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so it's really it's something that's like more than the sum of its parts. Like we're not talking about individual instances. It's something yeah. about a collective, like correct in general, some sense of the art at this time being bad. Yeah, you know, like, but we don't know how to pin that down because when you get like, well, what about this and what about that? It's like, okay, I'm actually not talking about particular instances. Yeah, it's about this collective. Yeah, in general, we can yeah. speak on this broader issue. I think, um, you know, it's important to remember that, especially as Christians, we believe that like beauty is. A transcendental, it partakes of being itself, and it's objective. Um, beauty is objective. We could say taste is subjective, mm. but beauty is not subjective. Uh, there's, an, uh, of course, a, a yeah, subjective yeah. experience of yep. beauty um, that you, everyone integrates in yep. and experiences differently. Yep. Um, but you know, to, for someone to say I don't like Mozart's music, right? 
says more about the person than Mozart's music. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and so that's a, yeah. So it, beauty has to be tied to um, an objective sense of reality. Uh-huh. Um, that goes back to my small point that I made earlier um, about being tied to the good. Yeah. And right. so J, JP two John Paul II, in his letter to artists, he has this um, quote um, that talks about what I'm getting at. Uh, he says, the theme of beauty is decisive for a discourse on art. It, will, it was already present when I stressed God's delighted gaze upon creation. In perceiving that all he had created was good, God saw that it was beautiful as well. The link between good and beautiful stirs fruitful reflection. In a certain sense, beauty is the visible form of the good, just as the good is the metaphysical condition of beauty. This was well understood by the Greeks. On this point, Plato writes, the power of the good has taken refuge in the nature of the beautiful. Mm. Um, so you can't divorce beauty from, right. from the good. So like when we say good art, we're talking transcendentally. Yeah, <laughs> well, know? yeah, or at yeah. least touching upon yeah, that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, it gets very complicated when you're talking about um, art, good art, uh, as it relates to things in our modern culture, like those instances of um, good art. You know, I remember I was, I watched a movie a few years ago, um, Nightcrawler with Jake Gyllenhaal. Mm-hmm. Um, and I watched that with um, a good friend of ours, brother Leo, mm-hmm. um, at the time before he entered uh, the monastery. And he was like, I thought it was artful. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was questioning, like, how does that, like, bring us any closer to a sense of the beautiful? Mm. And I remember... I was articulating why I thought it was artful and therefore good and some sense beautiful when it was just about this um, uh, this um, guy who was just trying to get ahead in his and uh, in, in being a um, uh, a cameraman on these um, scenes of um, uh, like a, a news scenes. report, yeah, crime yeah. scenes, and it was it was very godless mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. and violent. But I was like, this shows in my mind, it shows you what a life is without God. And so it was almost like a via negativa yeah. of showing you like, this is a realistic portrayal of the human condition. Right. If you're not connected to a sense of transcendence mm-hmm. or, right. or, or a sense of the good. Um, and so even like these most, the, the most abhorrent movies um, that are violent, um, if they're authentic about the human condition, they are negatively pointing at something higher. Right. That makes sense. Yep. Um, it shows, like, you know, mm-hmm. like, a life without God, this is what happens. Yep. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, that's and, very interesting. Yeah, I don't know. That's, uh, and you know, beauty as connected to goodness, yep. needing good, um, is is fundamental for art. The um, uh, There's a, a description of truth, goodness, and beauty that I heard Verveke give once. I don't know how true this is. Correct me if it's wrong. Yeah, let me get my Thomistic. Um, yeah, please. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> get ready for the slap down. Um, so he's talking about goodness as being the uh, guarantee that what you perceive is connected to the truth. So it's like, this is a good chair. And goodness mm-hmm. means that there's a guarantee that it, it functions like chairs ought to function. Like the, the truth about chairs is there. And then this, this chair itself adheres to that. And that's a good chair. Mm. That's how he describes goodness as like a guarantee that it's connected to the truth about that reality. Beauty is the perception of that goodness. 
is seeing mm. the chair, right? And you see it as good, which adheres to a truth. So it's yeah. like subjective mm -hmm. viewing a thing, which is good, that connects with truth. And that's how all three are connected. So I made that, I took that and I was thinking about the beginning of Genesis where God sees what he created and says that it is good. Mm -hmm. So that, that's beauty. He's seeing the, his creation that's beauty first, and then he sees that it's good, which adheres to a truth, and you have the three transcendentals there. So it's like to say, we don't say like, oh, that movie was true. Or yeah. sometimes we say that movie was beautiful, but most of the time we say it was good. Yeah. Because beauty perceives that as a perceived thing. Like first we, the perceiver, are perceiving beauty, and then we say it is good. Mm -hmm. And that's why we don't say beauty or true. Yeah. Like we say good. That's interesting. Although I don't know if it would necessarily be wrong to say that movie was true. Um, yeah. And, and that's the thing with the transcendentals is that they're convertible. Interchangeable. Um, so, you know, to, yeah. And so, <laughs> yeah, interchangeability. Um, no, they were, yeah. So, so to say that whatever is, to say that something is good is also, is also to say that it is true and beautiful. Yeah. Right. Um, and so it's interesting that, you know, Vervaki's, um, connecting it to perception and, mm -hmm. Uh, where you're perceiving one thing, but then there's steps and levels in, in that perception. Yeah, right. And then breaking so that, down, yeah. this, the, yep. making those distinctions right. within those steps Correct. as yeah. part of the transcendence. That's the whole point of why he's saying, like, that's why we call something good and not true, is because it's at that level of perception, but it's yeah. still true and beautiful. Yeah. Like, it's all interchangeable. That's interesting. Um, hmm. That's definitely a much, a much more modern way to talk about... The, the, these are, like, medieval conceits. Yeah. Uh, of uh, the transcendentals. Mm. Um, and, you know, the way that I was introduced to them, uh, there was, maybe there were crude distinctions, but, you know, to say um, a moral act is, um, is good. Um, you know, a, a, um, a logical preposition might be true. And then um, a, a, a painting is beautiful. Right, right. <laughs> you know, those are very mm -hmm. crude distinctions. Yeah. Um, but then there's a lot of overlap in all that, right. of course. You could say, but, like, is this a good law? Yeah, like, yeah, Is exactly. it a true yeah. law? You know, right. like, does it adhere to a truth? Right. You know, yeah. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, yeah that that ver that whole um, breakdown that Vervaki gave seems... Yeah, that seems... Plausible. Um, that seems about right. Valid, yeah. That's interesting. I think the, the language would be slightly different from... A, from uh, scholastic point of view, mm -hmm. but but essentially the same. Mm. Um, there'd be some being talk, right? You yeah, know, ontology. Exactly, yeah. like a being being is good, right? Um, but it's good. Also, it's good that it exists, but there's also I think that it's beautiful when it achieves the end for which that being mm. is made. When it's when it's uh, aimed aimed at and in union with its ultimate purpose. Mm -hmm. Right, right. Yeah. Our our um, you know like. Uh, for rational creatures, it's the use of your rational intellect. Mm -hmm. So as long as you're using that, then you're fulfilling mm -hmm. your purpose, which is right. good and yeah. such like that. But, yeah, that's interesting. Um, Edith Stein has some stuff on the 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 truth of art, mm. um, and uh, she she says that a a work of art can be called true when it is when it ought to be, but there's two ways that you can understand ought. Mm. So there's that the art corresponds to the the intention of the artist and that it co and the second is that it corresponds to the underlying pure idea so the essence of of whatever you're trying to depict mm. um right. so 
it, a, a work of art can correspond to your intention, right? But it can still, but that doesn't mean that it's good mm-hmm. necessarily, right? 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 Because um, you can have an intention to depict uh, a certain person in a way that's entirely not how they are. Yeah. That was your intention, right? I think Velma was made intentionally. Yeah. <laughs> well, right. Yeah. Well, right. Yeah. yeah. So this gets yeah, this gets a little tricky because um, I was thinking of of Hamilton, mm-hmm. the um, the Broadway play. Yep. So in Hamilton, a lot of the characters are uh, persons of color, mm-hmm. but that's not who they were historically. Mm-hmm. But yet, in a sense, when you watch Hamilton, that's not immediately on your mind, right? Because Hamilton is depicting the the essence of these characters. Mm-hmm. So it it's this is where the artist um, she would say can go beyond the historian because the mm-hmm. artist is getting to the essence of the characters, right? And the essence of the of the people, um, so that they can kind of as long as as long as that's intact, they can kind of play with these other right. elements, mm-hmm. right? So you know, with Velma, Velma's uh, not white mm-hmm. in the new show, but that's not actually what's that's not the issue. Right. Um, the issue is that Velma is someone who's yeah. <laughs> not Velma uh-huh. anymore. Right. Um, and same thing with all the other characters. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that actually, the the race is actually kind of accidental, mm-hmm. I would say, to, to many characters. Right. You know, you know any, any archetypal character, yeah. Spider-Man, mm-hmm. Superman. Yeah. Um, but, it's, but there's this essence that they have that you're, you're kind of beholden to. Because right. it doesn't belong to you. Right, right. It belongs to the character. Mm-hmm. And when it comes to... I'm going to go off on a little bit of a tangent, I guess. Yeah, go. <laughs> <laughs> um, when it comes to fictional characters, I think it sounds ridiculous to say, well, that's not really how Luke Skywalker is because right. Luke Skywalker doesn't exist. Mm. Uh-huh. You know, to yeah. say that's not really how Father Jonathan acts. Right, right. Makes sense because yeah. he's a real person. But Luke, yeah. well, like, why do I have to adhere to a real Luke when real mm-hmm. Luke doesn't exist? Yeah, right, yeah, right. But the, the thing is, Edith Stein talks about kind of the, the super person or the super individual fantasy. That mm. it seems like fantasy belongs only to you because it's only in your mind, but yet there's somehow a collective image that we all have of yeah. Sleeping Beauty that doesn't yeah. belong to you. Yeah, yeah. And you can't just change however you want. Mm-hmm. So you can say mm. that your art is true when it corresponds basically to the archetype. Right, right. And if it deviates from the archetype, then it becomes untrue. Right. Yep. Even if you play with these again, like yep. these accidental yeah, yeah. accidents. And I think that was that's people's um people now when they get a hold of these projects, you know, Star Wars, mm-hmm. Scooby Doo, <laughs> you know. Um it's now like it's my time to tell the story. Yeah. I right. can tell the story how I want. Mm-hmm. Right. But I think the critical drinker made this point um a couple of years ago that there are directors now who are inheriting franchises that they didn't create. Yeah. And that they don't understand. Right. Yeah. Right. That Luke doesn't belong to you. Yeah, yeah. And in a in a weird sense, didn't belong to George Lucas. Right. What, yeah, yeah, well, yeah exactly. Because like yeah. once you release Luke out into like the public, yeah. it's now he has a a whole character that yeah. belongs to everybody. Yeah. Right, right. But yeah. yet at the same time, like you said, there are definable characteristics that everyone agrees on. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's really interesting. Um yeah, so she said that it so there's artistic truth is the congruity between the work of art and this underlying archetype mm-hmm. yeah, that right. kind of almost um, preconditions yep. your depiction of the person. And I think those archetypal things are, is kind of what Verveke would be calling truth. Right. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Some sort of like platonic form of like 
Luke Skywalker. Yeah. And then when and then when Luke Skywalker is written, you're like, oh, this is a good character, and that's what you're really referring back to. Yeah. And then our perception of Luke Skywalker is beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah right. Well, the, and so the, the artist always has, <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, the artist always has to be authentic with his portrayal of reality, and that includes characters as well. Right. And so, you know, when George Lucas was writing the character of Luke Skywalker, there had to be logical consistencies with his character or else he wouldn't be a good character. Yeah. And so in a sense, a good character is, like like you said, you know, it's not even George Lucas's. Mm-hmm. Um, it does go beyond the author because you can't have... Um, it, it wouldn't have made sense for the character of Luke Skywalker, for instance, in the first one, you know, after he uh, wants to leave home um, he goes on his adventure, and then all of a sudden he's like, "I'm gonna live back on Tatooine." Right? Or, is it, or like it, it would be a a contradiction to his character that's already been mm-hmm. built up, and so it takes a I think it takes a very discerning artist to understand the consistencies with a character and to be authentic with that. Yeah, to just know the human condition. Yeah, exactly. And this is yeah. what then this is what really makes um, some of these like pop. Christian movies so bad Mm -hmm. is that the authors are so obsessed with the message that they're trying to tell that Mm -hmm. they are not authentic in portraying the human condition. Right. Right. And so they force their characters into a specific plot point Mm -hmm. to move their message forward. Right. Instead of actually moving the story forward. Right. 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 Um, That's, that's again, the weird peculiarity about calling fictional characters real or unreal or distorted uh, because they don't really have an existence. But yet, if you're a, a real artist or a genuine artist, you're not creating necessarily exact copies, but you understand how human nature works. Yeah. And if a character acts according to human nature, mm-hmm. then they can be called real. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Even though they may not have some, you know, yeah. physical existence. Yep, exactly. The 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 example I just thought of is in God is Not Dead, <laughs> when <laughs> love that movie. <laughs> um, where. Uh, at the at the beginning, the the college student, uh, the main character, uh, refuses to agree that God is dead. So the professor passes out a paper and says, yep. "You have to write down God's not dead." And <laughs> or God is it. dead. Or God is dead. I'm yeah, sorry, right. God is dead. Um, and then he refuses to do it. And then the professor grants him 15 minutes a week, all of his lecture time, <laughs> to defend the God's existence. Yeah. And it's like, yes, okay, on one level, the filmmakers say, well, this, this, these are fictional characters and I can do whatever I want. Yeah. Yes, that doesn't happen. Right. You know, in, in reality, this is, a, this is not consistent with the way college, mm-hmm. college campuses are set up. It's right. not, yeah. you know, the way the classroom is set up. Right. Um, it just, it's so contradictory to reality yeah. that it takes you out of the moment and it's no longer engaging. Right. It's no longer yeah, yeah. true. You're not getting you know? it. Um, <laughs> And that, that's where the message overshadows art. Um, yeah. Anyway, that was a little rant on God is Not Dead. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a rough movie. <laughs> yeah. No, but there's, a, there's even memes about that where it's like you could have just done X and immediately like the movie would be over. Yeah. Like you could have right. just like reported and be like, uh, this professor's like kind of 
bullying me yeah, yeah, a little bit right. in class. It's it's a little weird. Like he wants me to defend myself. Yeah. All, you know, in front yeah. of the class. On and the basis like, of religion. Yeah. And yeah. he's also like using his time technically. Yeah. Like I'm right. kind of doing his job. Like this seems inappropriate. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> like, I'm but, paying thousands of dollars for this class and he yeah. wants a freshman to teach yeah. 15 <laughs> right. minutes of his class. Right. <laughs> um, yeah. So yeah. Anyway, that's. Yeah. That's funny. Interesting. Yeah. Have, oh, okay. I, um, we should stop here and then move to the uh, the members only episode. I have a question about how the fact that some artists that make good art are also kind of crabby people, mm-hmm. <laughs> at least in the past, and why is that? Um, but yeah, we'll stop here and then switch over to the members only. So if you want to join, it is basically related.com uh, to sign up, and we do weekly episodes every week. Yeah.